market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he has been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name's Connor Matchett, I'm the Deputy Political Editor at The Paper. With me this week is just, I say just, that's a bit harsh. It's very harsh. The brilliant uh, political correspondent, Rachel Amory. Alistair Grant is away sunning himself, presumably in France still, like I was sunning myself in Sicily, so I can't really complain. You've been here both weeks. I have. I feel like I'm missing out on some holidays here. I mean, she says going on away for how long later this year? To be fair, I will be missing for most of November, yes. I think it's just worth stating that you know, we're all getting our fair share of holidays here, <laughs> just at different points of the year. Yes, Alice is away this week, and it is just the two of us looking at Holyrood. It's the second week back since recess. We had the programme for government last week, and we're straight back into the standard kind of rhythm of Holyrood. One of the bigger stories this week has obviously been Fergus Ewing and short-term lets. Take us through a little bit of what happened or what is happening in terms of Mr Ewing? Well, let's start with explaining the short-term let yes, because it all, kind of, um, it all <laughs> kind of connects in together. So this is a proposal for there to be a licensing scheme for holiday lets in Scotland. Um, if you have a holiday let, you've got until October the 1st to apply for one of these licences from the council. Now, the industry has kind of had a bit of a backlash here. They don't want this. They held a demonstration outside Parliament last week about it. And yes, yesterday, so that Wednesday, the Scottish Conservatives held a debate in the Parliament asking for this all to be paused. Now, the reason that we're talking about this with Herr Fergus Ewing is because he voted against the government in this debate. I'm sure anyone keeping an eye on Scottish politics knows this is not the first time <laughs> that he has gone against the government um, yeah. on, on various issues. Um, he's spoken out on a number of things, I'm um, thinking high protected marine areas, deposit return scheme. Um, he's criticised the government for delays to dueling the A9, for example. And this all came to head back in June. There was a vote of no confidence in the Green Minister, Lorna Slater. And he voted against the government this. And at that point, we all kind of had a bit of a speculation. I mean, is he going to be suspended? Is there going to be a disciplinary action for this? And there wasn't, um, because his mother... Winnie Ewing passed away very shortly after that vote. The day after, yeah. yeah. it was very shortly after. But it's all come back again to a head because of this vote earlier this week on short-term lets. Now, I spoke to Hamza Youssef earlier this week. He was in Stirling on Monday, and he was saying, you know, this is a very, very serious matter. Mm. So they are taking it seriously. But um, it's taking a long time to get to this point where we get disciplinary action. But you were saying that you think this is going to come quite soon, this vote. Yeah, so I think the uh, suggestion from SNP sources is that there's a meeting next week, probably on Wednesday, which uh, all MSPs have told they have to turn up to on a three-line whip basis, which is about as strict as the chief whips get um, in Parliament. Um, and that will effectively decide what happens to Fergus Ewing. I think it's interesting talking around, there's a lot of people who, within the party, who are apoplectically angry with how he's gone about, you know, being 
critical of the government. You mentioned HPMAs, you know, highly protective immune areas. They were very controversial from pretty much the the day that they were brought in. However, you had Cape Forbes, you know, obviously the defeated leadership um, contender, Alastair Allen, who represents um, the islands or some islands. Um, And you had Karen Adam as well in the northeast, all coming out and being critical of the plans. None of them did the Fergus Ewing technique of ripping up a government consultation document in the middle of the chamber um, in fury. So I think a lot of the party senior figures take the view that you can't continually disrespect the government in that way without some form of action. Um, talking to someone in the SNP, it sounds like effectively MSPs require a bit of notice from the party before they vote, they ha- their future is voted on. If it comes to a vote at all next week, the group might just decide on the right course of action. Who knows what that might turn out to be. But I think we certainly were told back in, in June after he voted against Lorna Slater in, in that no-confidence motion or against government even, that he was toast. I think that probably still applies. Who knows? We could probably see the Ewing name, um, as you mentioned, his mother, Winnie Ewing, the ridiculously famous kind of icon of Scottish nationalism dying earlier this year, it would be quite a moment if it comes to pass, which it probably will by the sounds of things, for him to be booted out of the party, even if it's temporarily. But going back to short-term elects, as that was a big debate yesterday, I don't know what you think, Rachel, on this, because I felt like opposition MSPs have noticed a weak link in the government, which is the relationship with business, and that the the STL debate, you mentioned some of the campaigners, some of the language used by the campaigners mm. was questionable. I think some of some of the industry did looked on it a little bit negatively, and um, there was talk of the legislation being akin to a pogrom and you know quite strong language. But the actual central issues didn't seem to get much discussion in the short-term let debate yesterday. And it was more about bashing the government over their relationship with business, which is a weak link. I don't know what you think. Yeah, that's a good point that you made there. In last week's programme for government, Hamza Youssef was very keen to say, you know, he's resetting the relationship mm. with business. He, he did get criticised for maybe being a bit sparse on the business front in the programme for government. Um, and as you said, this is maybe one of the first big tests that Hamza Youssef has had when it comes to business. And they're not happy. Some of the SNP people I've been speaking to, though, they don't seem too riled up about it. They're like, it's just regulation. It's not a big deal. But those in the industry do find it to be a big deal. But I think it's going to be more of an issue when it comes to the housing crisis that we're seeing in places like Edinburgh Mm. and Highlands, Mm. because that's mainly where it's a big problem, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's worth... We had confirmation as well in the programme for government, didn't we, about the housing bill that will come later this year. That's likely, highly likely, if not guaranteed, to have not only a new deal for tenants, as I think Patrick Harvey likes to call it, but also probably rent controls. And again, it's I think we'll probably hear a familiar refrain around that, about you know the government not understanding business not not fully comprehending the complexities of the housing crisis and you know you and I know we're both young young professionals um, how difficult it is to find somewhere to live often in, in Scotland at the minute that is affordable within within the ra- the range of uh, of the wages that we're paid. Yes, um, well, I I don't live in Edinburgh. No, and for a reason. Yes, <laughs> that is one of the reasons why I don't is um is the cost of housing. Yeah, and I think it'd be interesting to see how much of much more we hear of this business argument from the opposition, given how hard Hamza Youssef and Co are, 
are trying to reset it. I don't know what you think how it's going in that regard, because obviously it's been so much of Hamza's time in, in, in government has been uh, kind of overshadowed by what's been going on with the police investigation. Yes, it just seems to be putting out fires constantly. Yeah. So thankfully the past sort of week and a half since we come back from summer recess, which seems like a month ago now, even though it wasn't, that has calmed down slightly for him. As you said, we're starting to get a bit more back into the normal swing of things in here in Parliament. But yes, it'll be interesting to see where this goes from here. Absolutely. Well, let's um, move on to talking a bit about a different type of policing, um, which was the announcement um, on Monday that uh, the Lord Advocate uh, issued new guidance, which effectively allows the government and campaigners to undertake pilots of safe drug consumption rooms, probably likely to happen in Glasgow, could also happen in places like Dundee and Edinburgh, where drug use is high. And this is a long time coming. We mm. had the the Scotland Secretary Alistair Jack uh, on Wednesday tell the Parliament, the House of Parliament, that the House of Commons even that um, the UK government wouldn't intervene and block such a move. But it is something that has been on the back burner for a long time. There's been a lot of pressure on the government to bring that forward. Um, how big a moment is this in, in Scotland's kind of fight against uh, drug deaths? I think if you're in those um, sort of areas, it probably will seem like a big deal. I used to work in Dundee. Mm. Um, I live in Paris, so I go to Dundee quite a lot. And as you said, it does have... Um, bit of an issue with with them um, drug deaths and drug use there um, and it's even like little things like if you go in the shopping center there's posters on what to do if someone has an overdose mm. and that's sort of become normal in places like Dundee unfortunately so this is because the home affairs committee in Westminster I think I got that committee name right it said that there should be a pilot of a drug consumption room and that it should be in Glasgow yeah. now this would be a uh, a sort of a sterile sort of facility that someone who uses drugs could go to and they could have their drugs checked, make sure they're not contaminated and they would then be supervised while taking it. And the idea being if they do have an overdose, then whoever's supervising them can essentially deal with it without having to call an ambulance for them. So, I mean, in theory, it does sound like a good idea, but there are concerns that is it, is it normalising drug use or is it promoting it or is it making it more acceptable, that kind of thing. So that's kind of the main debate now. But as you said... The Lord Advocate said on Monday that if you are in one of these facilities, you would not be prosecuted for possession. I think Hamza Yusuf on Monday, when I asked him about it, also said that's a very significant moment to a big step forward in what we're trying to do here. So will we get one of these uh, soon? Well, to be honest, I think something needs to happen. Mm. It might seem quite strange if you're not somebody who is sort of involved in all this sort of side of things, but whatever is happening right now is not working, clearly. And it hasn't worked for a long time. And it comes within the context, doesn't it, of the rising drug deaths over the last mm -hmm. 15, 20 years under the SNP and the, the, the genuine public health emergency that it represents. Mm -hmm. And also comes after the last year's drug deaths dropped, but the first quarter of this year seems to, to indicate another increase. And as well, on top of that, Scotland is still... By far, by far, the worst in Europe. Um, we do, um, I think over the weekend, we are getting a piece in the paper from uh, Peter Kreikant, mm. who had a drug consumption van, an unsanctioned one, in Glasgow a few years ago. And he's recently been to see some 
drug consumption rooms in Copenhagen. So he's going to be sort of sharing his thoughts and all of that and reflecting on what it could mean practically if this was introduced in Scotland. So we're hoping to get that over the weekend in the Scotsman. And to talk a little bit about the UK government's response, it's interesting, isn't it, that Alistair Jack has chosen not to pick a fight here. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of criticism of the Scottish government going, we're not sure if we have the power to do this. And then the UK government saying, well, you know, illegal drug use is always bad. He's coming across as a pretty politically astute bloke, isn't he, Alistair Jack, in that Scotland secretary role? Well, Alistair Jack has um, sort of sort of stepped in to block quite a few, I say quite a few, it's quite an unprecedented three, thing. So um, in this sort of case, three is, <laughs> is quite a, a few. <laughs> I think perhaps if he was to block this, the immediate response from the Scottish government would be you're playing with people's lives, people are dying. And so that's not going to make him look good, is it? So perhaps that's what he's thinking there. I don't know. Perhaps that's what he's thinking. That's, he knows what the response will be and the response perhaps won't make him look very good. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, hear from our Westminster correspondent, Alex Brown, given that we're talking about everything House of Commons. Um, He is looking eastwards um, towards China, and he's been speaking to some MPs about that this week. Hello, and welcome to the Westminster Section Podcast. My name is Alexander Brown, and this week Parliament was awash with talk about spies. The spy who loves thee, after a parliamentary researcher for the Conservative Party, was arrested back in March for allegedly being a spy for the Chinese state. Now, on the Sunday this emerged, MPs and journalists were scrambling to find out the details, and when they did get the details, they didn't know if they could say them or not. Tory MPs were threatening to use parliamentary privilege to name them in the Commons, only to be told by the Speaker on Monday, we can't do anything or say, say the name. But beyond the allegation towards this particular individual who does deny the claims, what's more interesting is how the government is struggling to answer questions about what it's done over this potential interference from the Chinese state. When Rishi Sunak was asked if he had raised concerns about Chinese interference with the Chinese government before the allegations were made public, he refused to answer. The day before, Oliver Dowden had done the same. They were both saying they regularly raise issues with their Chinese counterparts. Essentially, in politicians' talk, that's a, I did not do that, but I can't tell you I did not do that because you'll know I did not do that and you'll think I don't want to vote for that person because they did not do that. This is a textbook example of it. So now we're in a position where MPs are scrambling not just for details as to what might have happened with any alleged spy or any interference, and it's worth noting it's also been revealed that MI5 warned uh, the Conservative Party that two of their potential candidates could potentially be Chinese spies. They've acted to stop that happening now. But what's more interesting is what the government does. Rishi Sunak has made such a huge thing about not being confrontational with China. He has... You know, he, a lot, when he was running to be leader, he called China a threat. Now it is a challenge, and government ministers who call it a threat or hostile are being reprimanded and having to water down the language. So, you know, we're dealing with spies. Didn't think we'd get to this point. I don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe dragons? So with the dragon part of the news cycle? It's two more days of parliament, and then we're coming up to conferences at the end of the month. And I, for one... Can't wait to see just how much more ridiculous everything gets. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, 
phenomenal story, I think, around that and, and the potential alleged spying, uh, spy, Chinese spy at the heart of, of Parliament, certainly one hell of a scoop to have gotten. Um, let's uh, look a little bit closer to home and start off with reminding you at home, listening to this, that you can sign up to the steamy newsletter. Now, Rachel, it's your baby. Do tell people at home listening exactly what's on offer. Well, last week we officially relaunched the Morning Politics newsletter. Same name as this podcast, The Steamy. The best name. Yes. Phenomenal piece of brand. <laughs> um, and it's something that I'm writing every morning and I'm getting up very early in the morning to do it as well. I did notice this morning when I got up that it is now dark when I'm awake. Luckily for you, though, when the clocks go back in about uh, in about a month and a bit, it should be OK. I am very much looking forward to that. But basically, we're going to have a um, sort of a rundown of all the latest um, analysis in politics, what the, stop, what the top story of the day is or what the biggest thing to look out for is. One bit of the news that I particularly love is the what's on section. So basically what is coming up each day in politics and also just a bit of comment that's happening in The Scotsman as well. And of course, a bit about our podcast, too. Um, so I would love it if you could all sign up to the newsletter, which you can do on the Scotsman's website on either the newsletter tab or the politics tab. Absolutely. And uh, and uh, there might even be some guest newsletter writers when Rachel goes jets off on a holiday later on this year. Make sure to sign up to that um, if you haven't done so already. And also, I believe, Rachel, that you're more than happy to get emails from readers about what they think about the newsletter and the day-to-day goings-on. So, yes, so um, my, my email address is on the newsletter, so mm-hmm. if you want to send me some emails um, about how it's, how it's looking, I'm more than happy to hear. One of the things that I'm sure will be mentioned in tomorrow's newsletter, Friday's newsletter, will, will be uh, First Minister's questions today. The second one since recess has come back, and it already feels like um, everybody is in need of a break, we had a pretty soporific 45 minutes and now I'm putting my own opinion on here obviously but I found it incredibly dull you had Douglas Ross leading on body worn cameras and potentially uh, cuts to the policing budget and staffing uh, and you had Anasawa as well leading on his personal favourite thing health and uh, the Scottish Labour trying to make links to the rising number of people using private healthcare for things like hip and knee surgeries and then we had quite a lot of other questions on various different things one of them was on the ministerial code breach alleged against Hamza Youssef which is quite complex to say the least um but kind of sums up where we are in terms of how the government seemed to approach parliament and now the background to this is uh, Hamza Youssef made a claim about renewable energy and the the amount that Scotland has I think he claimed that he had the majority in the UK, something along those lines. That is not true. And an FOI disclosure demonstrates that it took three weeks for them to come up with a different uh, statistic to correct the record. Hamza Yusuf obviously isn't going to refer himself to the independent advisor on ministerial code. Uh, but what's your take on all of this? I mean, it's it's a long story of repeated misleadings of parliament on energy can we trust a word that comes out of the government's mouth on wind energy and renewables it's a difficult one to say isn't it because like you said it's it's incredibly complex just say no (laughs) (laughs) that would completely um, that would be impartiality out the window it does feel like we do have the most wind when you're like outside in in the blistering cold but as you said this was um, an incorrect statement that was made early in the year I think in June Mm -hmm. June the 22nd I believe there was a lot of um, sort of discussion afterwards Mm. um, after FMQs between the journalists and the special advisors I think at the end of that it just 
yeah, it's exhausting, isn't it? Trying to get to the bottom of what actually happened it here. Des- it descended into farce, to be honest, didn't it, with, with the, uh, the post-FMQ's briefing. Now, we, we both of us were there trying to get some clarity on various things. Now, you know, long-time listeners will understand what this briefing is. It's an on-the-record, off-camera briefing with um, the spokesperson for the First Minister and a couple of others as well on behalf of the government. We ask them questions, usually about what's come up at FMQs. It's also our only opportunity to have... Um, the equivalent to what the lobby briefing is down in, in Westminster, which happens, I think, every day. So we only get that once a week. And we were asking the spokesperson, you know, why did it take three weeks for the civil for Hamza Yusuf to remember what he meant to say after making the mistake and why, why they made the decision to go down this line of thinking? I think at one point we had it suggested to us that Actually, Hamza Yusuf knew exactly what he what he meant to say when he made the error, even though it took three weeks and the civil service to come out and uh, come up with and calculate this figure that he actually meant. I mean, it was a complete mess of, you know, spin and nonsense, wasn't it? But it does ask really fundamental questions of what's going on within the civil service and whether or not it has become politicised or whether or not it is doing what it probably does everywhere and just working to the to, to what the government of the day wants. Well, politi- the civil service being politicised was a point made to the First Minister at FMQ today by the Conservatives. Um, I think it was Liam Kerr that made that point, I think, and um, it didn't go down particularly well um, with the SNP when he made that point. My goodness, there was lots of, lots of groans and moans from the SNP benches at that point. But yeah, I think that's one of these fundamental things. There needs to be a trust in government. And while the SNP and the Scottish government are separate, mm. for a lot of people, that perception is that they're joined. Whether, even though that's not the case, that's, a, that's everyone's perception for a lot of the time. And there has obviously been this issue with the ongoing police investigation, issues with transparency within the SNP. And for members of the public, that will boil over into trusting the government as well. So, yeah, that's, it's going to be a bit of a sort of tricky one to figure out, isn't it? Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what happens. That is all we've got time for, though, this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the Steamy newsletter. You can find it online at thescotsman.com and uh, underneath the newsletters tab, you can sign up to a politics newsletter. You can also sign up to other newsletters on things like football and transport and health. Um, So make sure you do that. Um, We'll be back next week with the next episode of the Steamy. Hamza Youssef will have been jetting off to New York for New York Climate Week. Yes, yeah, so I think next week, FMQs, we're actually going to see Shona Robson. Shona Robson, indeed. Yes. Um, and presumably, the other two deputies, Megan Gallagher and Jackie Bailey, facing it off in an all-female approach, which could be quite fun, not something we've had uh, since the days of Kezia Dugdale and Ruth Davidson and Nicola Sturgeon. So look forward to that, and we will see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>